Thank you, Adam, for those uh, words of prayer. <clears throat> I'm sure I'm not the only one here who has uh, many friends you probably grew up with in the in the Christian faith or in church, youth groups, whatever, and and they've they've drifted off, and our heart goes out uh, to those those people. So that that was a very precious prayer. Uh, just just to let you know, um, Di is being well looked after. She's uh, the paramedics have come and, and taken her. And she's in good spirits um, as she was being taken off. So just to, to let you know of that. Uh, this week, not this week, the week before, I was uh, in Melbourne for the National CRC Conference. This has nothing to do with what I, what I want to talk to you about, but I just wanted to share with you uh, my experience of going away and meeting with other pastors and other ministers uh, in our wider movement across Australia. I was super encouraged uh, by our time together. And the thing that I wanted to bring back and share with you is that we are part of an amazing movement in Australia. Uh, while many um, other Christian movements are perhaps dying or being irrelevant in the culture that we're a part of, hearing stories after stories of new churches coming up, church planting into rural areas and uh, amazing things that God is doing in raising up leaders and training young people uh, in the ministry. And so it's an exciting time to be part of our movement and to see what God is doing uh, amongst not only our, our church but across the, the wider Australia and the world as we are big on missions. And I don't know if you know this, but we have a uh, mission that in by the year 2045, we would have a ministry presence in every nation. As a CRC movement, we'd have a ministry presence in every nation by 2045, and we're not even close yet, but we are well on the way uh, to that because uh, we are all over the world in uh, preaching the gospel in, and seeing churches arise. So it's just such an important thing to share with you. I was super encouraged and, and come away that we are part of an amazing movement. If you've got your... Bibles with you or your smartphones or anything like that, you might want to turn this morning to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read to you uh, a verse that my lovely wife brought to me and I said, I'm going to steal that and use that for a, for a sermon. Mark 2, verse 13 to 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of that guy, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to those not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now before I get uh, into that particular verse and, and the, the word I have for this morning, uh, I just wanted to bring to your attention the fact that at the start of the year, um, we had a vision that we would be a fully functioning, healthy church and that we would um, 
have everyone finding their fit in the life of the church, uh, whether it be um, a new ministry or serving in a new way. And we talked about the fact that church is a bit like a puzzle with many pieces and there are many parts to church. And whilst we do some things very well, uh, we've done things like kids' ministry really, really well for many, many years, um, there would be other parts of church life that perhaps are missing or need uh, improving and need strengthening. And I just want to start this morning by saying how enthralled I am and how proud I am of our church of grabbing hold of this vision because um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we've been working hard behind the scenes. And since that Vision Sunday, we have now got um, someone in, in charge of our pastoral care team and they're meeting uh, weekly as a team. Our missions team is, is up and running and thinking about how we promote missions uh, in our church. Uh, you might be aware that the outreach team have started up and are, are beginning to initiate ways of meeting the, the community and drawing those people in. Uh, we've got people in charge of uh, men's and women's events uh, as we look, look forward to the year to come. We've even got a creative arts team that have started to meet. Did you know that? And we've also got someone in charge of discipleship as we start to think about what it means to train people from the very young to the very old in walking with Jesus. What are the things that we need to teach, not only on a Sunday morning, but in our programs and in the courses that we run? You know, are we, are we getting the whole breadth of, of teaching? And so I'm super, super proud that uh, these things are up and coming, that we're seeing Puzzle Man being filled in. But there are a couple of gaps still to come, and a few that I just want to put out there. We're really in need of a life group coordinator, someone who can really grab hold of the vision of what it means to gather together uh, midweek and meet together, someone who's aware of different needs of people and how to perhaps get different people together in different ways. We're really in need of someone who's on top of tech and online presence, so our website, uh, our social media, and updating that is something that you've got to keep on top of and on, on top of. Um, someone who might want to just take on events in the life of our church. You know, we talk about the Christmas event coming up. You know, Easter and Christmas are, are big things. Um, our camp is another event that we have on. You know, we need someone to perhaps really take those on and make them, them brilliant. And another area that is actually what has caused me to, to think about the sermon this morning is hospitality. We, we welcome people really well in, as they come in the door, but what does hospitality mean in terms of actually integrating people into the life of the church? Uh, what does it mean for a new person to come, to feel welcome, to feel uh, loved, and for them to actually have a place uh, in, in our body and in the community that we are as the Hills Christian Family Centre. So you might say, well, what is, what is hospitality? Um, if, we, if we Google hospitality, we'd find out that there are actually courses that you can do for hospitality. Um, but it's to do with whining and dining, isn't it? And there's a whole industry about uh, hospitality. We're not talking about whining and dining. We are talking about what it actually means to welcome guests into the fold. I want to talk this morning, what, is it, what does it mean to practice biblical hospitality? Not hospitality like a course, 
but the hospitality that's spoken of in the scriptures. But before we get there, a confession to start with. A confession. Uh, when I first got married, uh, and in the early years of our marriage, I was I had an addiction, and I was addicted to hard rubbish. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Hard rubbish. You, that people throw out their their rubbish on the sidewalk, and I could not drive past without stopping and having a geezer at what someone else was throwing out. Now. I've had some prayer about it and, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've sort of, you know, come through that addiction. And, but even now, I, I, you know, I'm driving along the road and I see something, oh, I could repurpose that. Uh, I could fix that or I could use that in another way. Um, and there's, there's been some positives in, in the hard rubbish world. Um, a lot of our landscaping has just been used with other people's rubbish with retaining, retaining walls and things like that. Our chicken coop is entirely made of hard rubbish. Um, we've got a playground that's pretty much hard rubbish. So there are some positives. Um, and there <laughs> In fact, um, we, we've got this, this lean-to on the, the side of our house because um, we wanted some, some space out, out of the weather for, to store stuff. And just down the road, this guy was um, chucking out his, his carport that he'd, he'd pulled down, and I've actually got a picture of myself picking up some of the stuff here. Um, <laughs> now, I don't know, is that legal? Is that is that? that <laughs> but Lou's throwing out this perfectly good corrugated iron, and I've repurposed that and used it. Um, so there are some positives, <laughs> but the negatives is it's just someone else's rubbish, isn't it? And if I don't use it, if I don't actually, um, it just piles up and then I end up putting it out for hard rubbish because I, it, I just get sick of having it around or my wife gets sick of it, it being <laughs> around the house. But one of the things that was my, the biggest problem um, was couches. <coughs> For some reason, I just love the idea of this is a couch that's still got plenty of use in it. We could surely use that. And I had a station wagon at the time, and I could fit a three-seater couch in my station wagon by pushing the front seats as forward as they go and driving like this. Um, meant I could take home a couch. But the reason the reason I did it was we had this um, carport, a, a double carport, and it had roller doors at the front. And I had in my heart this desire to create a space for people to come and for there to be couches around the outside, for there to be a dartboard on the wall, for there to be a pool table, there to be, you know, a fridge there, maybe a, maybe a TV up on the wall with the latest uh, sporting grand final or something. I just loved the idea of a, creating a space in my home where people could come and people could feel welcome. Creating a space uh, with couches. The problem was, by the time you put couches all the way around the outside, there was no space left because um, it was just full of couches. So I had this desire to make a space in my home. And some of you think about that and you go, wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's great. Some of you are going, don't you dare give my spouse any ideas. Right? <laughs> some of us are just wired that way. 
to want to create a space and to welcome people. For some of us, we find that very hard. The, if we are to define what hospitality is, we could simply say that hospitality is welcoming the stranger. Welcoming the stranger. And this would be true as we look at, at um, a biblical understanding of hospitality. But I actually want to go a step further and I want to use this morning to explain my point. And it's just one point this morning. That is, biblical hospitality is making space for others when you don't have to. It's making space for others when you don't have to. And I want to talk about that when you don't have to because sometimes we make space for others when we have to. It might be a, a boss. You know, you've got to, got to look after your boss because if you don't, you might lose your job. Or, you, you know, your spouse. We make space for one another in our lives. Our family, that would be a have to, wouldn't it? You know, Christmas time comes around, well, we have to do that. But what about those that we don't have to? In our reading today, it's the calling of Levi. And Levi is actually Matthew, of the writer of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Gospel, and one of, one of the disciples of Jesus. Levi at the time is a, a tax collector, and we know from the previous verse that they are at Capernaum, which is that the top top town there. And if you look at the, the region here of Palestine at the time, um, all of the other nations are around uh, this point. The, the Romans have occupied all, all of this whole area. And Capernaum was, was really a frontier town. It was a, a town right on the edge of the, the world of Palestine. And so there was a lot of trade. Anything that came from uh, other nations, there was exporting and importing going on. The Romans would set up these uh, these points around the, the the region in order to get the taxes for the trade that would would happen. So you know you're a farmer and you've got sheep and you bring it into the you want to trade your sheep. There'd be a tax on on that. And so it's in. In this uh, context, that Jesus is walking by the lake, Jesus sees Levi in his tax booth and he's collecting the tax money. And just like when he said to the fishermen, leave your boats and follow me, he says to Levi, leave your profession, leave your job, leave the thing that you have security in and follow me. And just like the fishermen Levi leaves his profession, leaves the booth there, and follows Jesus. Now, the thing about tax collectors is that they were despised. They were socially isolated because the Jews wanted their land back. They wanted things to be like it was in, in King David's time where you know they had rule and they had... Um, they were, had the right to say what didn't didn't happen. But the Romans were in charge. The Romans occupied the whole land. And here's Levi, one of their own, and he takes money from them and he gives it to who? The enemy. He takes the resources from them and gives it to them to make them more powerful, to have more military might, 
to have more oppression over them. And so they were scum. How dare they do that? They were low lives. And because of that, they were socially isolated. They weren't invited to the parties. It's possible that even their family disowned them for what they did. And so here's somebody who is actually in need of inclusion, someone who is in need of feeling accepted and being part of uh, a society, being part of culture again. See, Jesus could have gone up to the school of rabbiness and said to them, give me your top 12 um, students who know the scribal law. Give, give me your, you know, your, your top 12. I'm going to take these wonderful, intelligent people and I'm going to use them. But no, Jesus makes space for people that he doesn't actually have to. Jesus chooses unschooled fishermen and someone who is socially isolated and he makes space for them and he includes them in his inner circle and as part of his 12 to teach them and to love them. So there's a challenge right there for us, isn't there? How does our hospitality line up up with Jesus's? See, we're good at making space for people that look like us, that perhaps dress like us, talk like us, have the same musical taste as us, back the same sporting teams as us. But how are we going at making space for those that we don't have to or perhaps those we don't even want to? In fact, I was researching this sermon and I came across this great quote and it was, hospitality is making your guests feel like they're at home, even if you wish they were. (laughs) It's a bit like that sometimes, isn't it? It's a bit like that sometimes when oh, it'd be much easier if they weren't in your space. I don't have the time. I don't have the capacity. Would they just go home? So I just want to unpack this biblical distinctive of don't have to when it comes to being hospitable. There are many themes throughout Scripture that are tied in from uh, one book to another as, as you know, God's love would be a pretty obvious one that goes from the beginning to the end that you can see unpacked. Hospitality is another theme that runs right through Scripture. Right at the very beginning, we have God. God was there at the beginning. And Genesis says that uh, the Father, Son and Spirit, the Trinity, uh, had a relationship uh, they, they had something going on that was beautiful and wonderful. And God chose to include us into that relationship. Now, God didn't have to create us. God didn't have to include us. They could have had an eternity with each other and it would have been wonderful and beautiful. They didn't have to. But they chose to create humanity, to create the world, and to make a way for us to be included in and welcomed into that relationship, into that community. And so they create the world 
and they create the Garden of Eden and they place humanity in it. And the Bible says that in the garden was everything that they needed. Everything that they needed. So they had the dartboard, the pool table, <laughs> the, the bar fridge there in the corner. No, they had everything that they needed. And then it's not the end of Scripture, it's not in Revelation, but Jesus talking about the end times, and we sing a song about it. We say, in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is in the business of hospitality by actually preparing a place for you and I to actually come into his Father's house and for us to have a place with everything like dartboards and everything that we need. No. So here at the start, we've got God including us. At the end of time, when Jesus comes to judge and and uh, come again for the second coming, he's going to come and he's going to bring us home and he's preparing a place in a hospitable way for us to be uh, with him forever. And then right in the middle of Scripture is the story of Jesus coming to us. This is the time for Jesus to be welcomed by us, to be taken in. Jesus takes on flesh and becomes human and enters into our world. And here is pregnant Mary coming to Bethlehem because of a census. They have to go to their hometown. But because everyone's going to their hometown, all of the guest rooms are taken up. And Mary comes in and there is no space for God. There is no space. There is no room left. God has made space for us and is preparing a place for us. And when God comes to us, we say there is no room. Now, back then, there were, it was culturally important to welcome the stranger. Uh, in Leviticus 19, one of the commands is that when a foreigner comes into your world, you treat them like they were native-born. Welcome the stranger. And in fact, most houses... Uh, in the Middle East, had a guest room. It was the upper room on the house, the room that the disciples met in for the Last Supper. Most rooms had this, this space uh, up on the roof that was a guest room that was made up ready for, for guests. So we, we might watch The Block or, or other Renault shows and they talk, they talk about having a guest room. That's, that's not a new modern thing. This is something that goes right back to here. So there were guest rooms, and those were the, all the rooms that were taken up by the visitors at Bethlehem. And so what would happen is as a traveller would be travelling from point to point, they would go through towns, and they, they would just stay in the town, and the town would take them in. There would be no Airbnb that you ring up beforehand, no hotels combined and get the best deal. You would simply just walk into a town and say, here I am, I'm a stranger, and someone would say, come, here's your bed, here's your food, uh, you know, rest up, be on your way, 
and, and, and that, was, that was the culture. That was culturally normal. And so it's so shocking that Mary rocks up and not, alone, not only is she not taken in, but she's pregnant and she's not taken in. There was no room. So I just want to just pause there for a moment. And I just want to say, how are we going in making room for God in our lives? How are we going at that? How are we going in making room for Jesus in our lives, to being hospitable to him? Are we any different from the town of Bethlehem? Or do we make space for him? How was our last week? How much room did we make for Jesus last week? How about yesterday? How much room did we make for Jesus yesterday? See, if, if we're going to be talking about being hospitable to others, first of all, we've got to be hospitable to God. And we've got to say, Lord, I want to make space for you in my heart. Come, feel me. May I know your presence and may that empower me to welcome others. In uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing it. Now, what, is it, what does it mean by that? It's probably referring to, either, to probably two stories in the Old Testament. You might remember a story of Lot. Uh, in, in, uh, where he welcomes people into his home and he doesn't realise that they're actually angels and that they actually help him in his situation before Sodom and Gomorrah is, de- is destroyed. Another story perhaps that it's referring to is uh, Abraham in Genesis 18 where Abraham is just um, out in his tent and some strangers come by, three strangers, and, and Abraham goes out of his way to be hospitable to these strangers. Now, Abraham didn't have to. He could have got some of his servants to do it. But if you read the story in Genesis 18, he, he goes crazy. He, he runs around and he, he goes, we've got to get the food. Quick, sit down here under the tree. Have some shade. Have some rest. And he's just like fussing over them. And little does he know that it's actually the pre-incarnate Christ who's come to meet Abraham and two angels. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's not have a distinctive between who we do are hospitable to and who we aren't because you don't know who's actually God might actually be bringing across your path. You don't know that God actually might have brought someone into your space and they are actually a blessing to you. It's not just about blessing them, but as they come into your space, they might bless you. Um, it reminds me of the sheep and the goats lesson when, when I think about entertaining and being hospitable to people and people not knowing it. We might know that the story of the sheep and the goats where um, Jesus talks about separating those that have, have been loving and those who have, have not. 
Uh, and in that passage, the king says to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you made space for me, even though you didn't have to. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And of course, we know what the response is, don't we? To those whom he said, they said, when? When did we do this? I can't remember doing that. I can't remember doing that. And what's Jesus' response? When you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. When you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it for me. We might be entertaining angels, Jesus himself, by showing hospitality to others. But what stops us? What is the enemy of true hospitality? Is it time? (laughs) Is it being rude? Is it needing everything to be clean? I want to say the enemy to hospitality is superiority. Because as soon as someone feels more important than another person, straight away, that then shuts off connection. And of course, this was the Pharisees' complaint of Jesus in the calling of Levi. They're like, Jesus, you're, you're better than these, these low lives. You're superior. Why are you... Why are you engaging with them? You should be engaging with us because <laughs> we're superior. Like we've got the knowledge. You know, we, we, we follow the law. We're, we're better. And, and no, Jesus, Philippians reminds us, Jesus didn't consider equality or superiority his, his rank, his, his godness to be to be something to be grasped, but he lowered himself and he became a servant. And so the Pharisees saw themselves as superior and because of that, they could not be hospitable to those who were lower than them. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Do we see ourselves as superior to other people around us? And does that stop us from being truly, truly biblically hospitable? Taking others in, making space for others, even though we don't have to. Another thing that might stop us is the idea that hospitality is simply a task to be performed. It's a tick box. Yeah, I've done my duty. I've had some people around for dinner Now I can go on my merry way and live my life the way that I normally do. I came across um, this in my research. Hospitality is not about inviting people into our perfect homes. It's all about inviting people into our imperfect hearts. See, hospitality goes beyond physical space. Hospitality isn't just about making a physical space for people. It is about creating 
an emotional connection, a spiritual connection, a relational connection, making a relational space. Um, Joe and I love entertaining and we love going to people's houses. We love the idea of, of hospitality and doing life with other people. One thing um, that we often talk about is, and you might have come across this situation as well, you, you might go to someone's home or they come to you and they spend the whole time talking about themselves. <laughs> have you ever entertained someone like that? You might ask them questions and be interested in their lives and nothing comes back. It's just all about them. <laughs> anyone, anyone had the situation like that? We had, had, we had one very, very recently. See, the thing about hospitality is, it's, is that it's, it's about the other person. It's actually about asking them and their life, what's going on? What were you feeling through that? You know, what are your fears? What are you worried about? What, what things are you excited about? Let, let me understand you as a person more. And of course, when we look at Jesus, that's precisely what he did, didn't he? Every engagement that he had with every person, he knew their story. He was interested in every intimate detail about what was going on in their lives. He wasn't just making a space for these people and having dinner and partying with them and just talking about himself. He was totally engaged with them. And this was um, Martha's problem in the story of Mary and Martha. She was doing what was culturally acceptable. She, she was doing the right thing by preparing the meal, making the home right. She was doing everything right. But biblical hospitality goes beyond just the tick box of doing everything right. Mary found relationship. She was at the feet of Jesus and they made space for one another. And Jesus, in this story, oh, those tax collectors had a need. They needed to be included. They were socially isolated. They had no friends. They would have only had each other. And here's Levi, Matthew, who gets invited into Jesus' circle. And he's invited Jesus back to his house. And what happens? All of the other socially isolated people come. And Jesus actually engages with those people and he actually gets to understand them. He asks them questions. He knew of their life struggles. He understood their situation, but he deeply cared for their need to be accepted. See, Jesus made space for those that he didn't necessarily have to, but he chose to. I want to leave you with two questions, a question to ponder that has two parts. And I've got to say, this has been a real challenge for me. I'm not standing up here as someone who has all the answers or who has done this perfectly. But I wanted to, I felt like based on Puzzle Man, the Lord wanted me to, to speak on hospitality. And I thought it would be about how we just, you know, have meals with one another and have fellowship 
the more and more I researched, the more challenged I was about the true meaning of hospitality and how it's morphed into something that is actually quite a challenge for us today in the 21st century. You see, the ancient world did hospitality really well. They were a culture that understood what it meant to welcome the stranger. Someone they didn't have to, but they fed them, they gave them a bed. And as I look at our society and the world we live today, with all of our progress in medical advances and technological advances, we've come a long way. But I think we fall so short in comparison to the ancient culture of hospitality. Don't want to get political talking about refugees or anything like that, but we can, we can put this word into that situation, can't we? What does it really mean to love a stranger, to love those that we don't have to? So I want to leave you with a question. In the light of the message this morning, how well are we personally doing at living out making space for others in our life? How well do we do? Not only for friends, family, church family. Now, that is all good and we need to do that. How well are we doing at making spaces for the I don't have tos? And the second part, is how should we as a church respond? Now, as we're looking to grow these areas of ministry, men's and women's ministry, our youth ministry, our community connection, what, do these ministri- what should these ministries look like in response to understanding true biblical hospitality? What sort of people should we be truly engaging with? It's a challenge. And it's a challenge for me as I, as I desire to lead. My heart is that we would have Jesus' heart and that we would see people as Jesus saw people. Jesus was walking along that lake and he saw Levi and he said, come follow me. You're in need of inclusion. You're in need of socialisation. You're in need of a friend. You're in need of community. Who do we walk by in our day-to-day walk, in our workplaces, in our community, that we go, you know what? They need inclusion. They need to have a space in our community. We don't have to. We don't have to but we need to, we need to, we need to. I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to invite the music team up. Um, it's, it's interesting, Kathy and I were talking during the week as we were thinking about how to finish off the, the sermon this morning and it's interesting that a lot of modern worship songs talk about our worship to God and who God is, but very little is there anything to do with mission <laughs> or, or welcoming or going out and, and loving others. 
Um, it's pretty hard to find a song based on that. Isn't that interesting? Uh, but Kathy's um, come up with a song, and I want her to simply sing it to start with and then invite us partway through to stand up and to engage in this song. And I want you to use this song as a, as a time of prayer. As you respond to the word that's been spoken this morning, I want you to think about your own life. And if you're in charge of a ministry area, I want you to think about that uh, ministry uh, experience. What does it mean to make space for people that we don't have to? What does it mean to love that one that perhaps others reject? How do I get rid of that superiority complex and lower myself and make space for the one who is in need? As, as the team um, sing, let's just reflect. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit. Perhaps there's actually someone in your life that the Lord's actually pulling on your heart to say, hey, I really want you to make an effort to make space for that person in your life. That work colleague that no one else likes, that family member that's really hard, that person that you walk by every day on your way to work, is God asking you to simply make a space And the space could be two minutes, it could be two hours, it could be two years. So Lord Jesus, as we reflect on your word, thank you that you made space for us. Lord, you didn't have to, but you chose to welcome us into you and into the community that is Father, Son and Spirit. And Lord, as we reflect on your love and the way that you've been hospitable to us, And as we're called to follow you and the way that you lived, challenge us now, Lord. May your spirit flow in this place. May we be opened to your prompting, to you tugging on our heartstrings. Who is it, Lord, that you are calling us to make space for in our lives? We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.